You're listening to the Writers Forum. I'm your host, Mike Tusa, and today we'll be talking about book banning. My guest is John Kreska. John is the executive director of an organization called Every Library. He's also the co-author of Before the Ballot, Building Support for Library Funding, and another book, Winning Elections and Influencing Politicians for Library Funding. John, welcome to the show. Mike, I really appreciate being here today. Thanks for this opportunity. Well, you know, last night, uh, the National Book Awards were held in New York, and uh, as I was listening to the radio driving in this morning, I heard several of the speakers talk about this topic, about book banning, about protecting libraries and protecting librarians uh, from threats. You have an organization called Every Library, and I believe it can be found on the Internet at everylibrary.org. Tell us a little bit about what your organization does. Sure. We're, Mike, we're celebrating uh, here at Every Library our 10th anniversary coming up uh, in, in the beginning of December. For the first nine years of what we were doing with libraries, it was mostly focused on funding uh, in Louisiana, uh, levy elections uh, for um, support for the library, the uh, operating expenditures, uh, building initiatives uh, in many other states. It might be a referendum or a millage or a levy like there, parcel tax, but we were really focused on the funding formula for public libraries. Um, we worked in, in several communities uh, around the state already, including uh, New Orleans with their 2015 uh, levy, as well as the 2021 uh, levy for the library. We've also worked uh, against some uh, rededication campaigns that have happened in Louisiana as well. Lafouche Parish a few years ago, they were, uh, they were looking to rededicate the library's levy to a, a jail project. We helped defeat that. Um, unfortunately, in Lafayette in 2019, there was a rededication levy going on that was uh, focused on a drainage project uh, to take the money away from the library to do that drainage project. That one passed. But we're active in about 37 states uh, working on these funding initiatives when there's voter approval uh, of those measures. We also do work with uh, school libraries and school districts on the school library funding and, and employment of school librarians. And then we have good relationships with a lot of state library associations on their uh, policy agenda, their legislative agendas. Like I said, nine months of that, or sorry, nine years of that, um, where we've been really focused on the funding. About a year ago, uh, just September or so of 2021, things really started to change uh, in this country around book bans, censorship, anti-access. And we've been working alongside local organizations and state library association partners now around the country at an increasing pace. Um, book bans uh, have become a fairly significant part of our work, uh, unfortunately, because these book bans seem to be much more politicized. Uh, they're much more performative um, than they used to be. Uh, my heart goes out to anybody who wants to, to challenge a book in their in their local library. What we're seeing here is, is not um, individuals interested or, 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 or concerned. We're seeing groups that are kind of coming at the library, um, coming at uh, these, these different populations that these books uh, represent uh, through these book bans and these, these kinds of challenges. So yeah. i got to tell you, never a dull moment, Mike. <laughs> Unfortunately, we prefer it to be dull. But let's, let's kind of go step by step on this. So mm -hmm. if, a, if a library contacts you and says, um, you know, John, we've got a group that wants to start banning books or whatever, you all have a role in that as well, right? And what would that be? We do. What we, what we are very uh, well positioned to do is to support um, the local community members who want to be part of the, the pro-library group. 
um, while we help the library board and we help the library staff on issues around policy, of course, uh, where we're really strongest is, is that political action side of things. Um, there are a lot of people in a local community who want to stand up for what's right. Uh, they want to stand up for the First Amendment. They want to stand up for the integrity of the library. They want to stand up for the, for the uh, people whose stories are represented in those books that are being banned. Yeah. So we help with that kind of local organizing. Um, and uh, that is a really powerful element because right now those groups that are looking to do book bans are highly organized themselves. Well, you know, let's talk a little bit about the different types and go a little further with this. So when we talk about the book banning that is going on in certain areas of the country, it, there are two different types here, right? We're talking about public libraries, but we're also talking about school libraries, correct? That's right. Uh, and they're different uh, policy frameworks, meaning that the laws around uh, and the, the laws of the First Amendment uh, precedents around public libraries and school libraries are different mm -hmm. because the nature of a public library and the nature of a school are, are fundamentally different. Right. But in, in both cases, uh, in both places, I should say, there are rights uh, around free expression, around open access, around freedom to read that that have to be respected. Right. And as I, you mentioned this, or you referred to it, and. As I understand it from doing some research, most of the time this is not just random individuals who gather together asking for books to be removed, but rather it's, a, it's an organized political effort. Can you uh, name some of the groups uh, that are involved in that process of banning books, and including any that might be in Louisiana? Sure. So around the country, nationally, one of the more significant groups uh, that is looking at primarily schools, so they're starting to stick their noses in on public libraries, is a group called Moms for Liberty. Um, they are heavily aligned with uh, DeSantis, Governor DeSantis in, in Florida. Uh, they are uh, certainly uh, anti-public education, and book ban chal and challenges in uh, public education space does two things. One is it uh, delegitimizes the uh, role of school librarians and other educators in supporting uh, children's future, uh, and it, uh, in a certain respect, either besmirches or even criminalizes uh, what's in the co collection. And what's in the collection of a school library is supposed, supposed to support the curriculum. Uh, and in these cases, they're making allegations about things like pornography, which isn't in there, or obscenity, which is illegal to begin with. Um, on, the, on the national front, there, the Moms for Liberty group is probably one of the, the biggest and most organized. Right. Um, what, they, about, what about in Louisiana? In Louisiana, it's interesting because uh, in other states, we, we, we see... Um, either parents groups or political opportunists um, who are focusing on, on these um, book banning uh, actions. So there's one group in, in Utah, one of my favorites, the Utah Parents United. Um, they don't really seem to be a lot of parents, but they say they are. Um, they're pushing these kinds of things. In Louisiana, there's uh, the Citizens for a New Louisiana group uh, that's coming out. Um, I think his name's Lumsford, uh, who runs it there. And this is this tends to be a an effort to discredit government, to shrink government. And I, I've been seeing uh, a disturbing pattern in Louisiana. I see it in other places like Montana and Idaho, where they're going after the books in order to go after the structure of the library and advance their right. political agenda. You know, and, and I read, and please correct me if I'm wrong, that some of the national groups originally arose in opposition to pandemic rules, like mask wearing and lockdowns, and then morphed into the book banning. Is that correct? Mike, it's very interesting because um, early in this uh, uh, last year, year, just slightly over a year, um, 
it, it tended to be people who were looking for a new cause after the pandemic restrictions were, were rolled back. Um, they had been organized around uh, anti-mask, uh, anti-vax, and as those issues uh, dissipated, the politicians and the special interest groups that are looking to advance their own agendas needed something else, and they discovered that it was easier to go after books than almost anything else. Hmm. Um, it, it's, it's an old-school approach. Yeah. And yes, the, the successor, sorry, um, it, it doesn't, it's not a straight line between anti-vax, anti-mask, and book banning, but a, in many places, the same folks showed up. Okay. Book banning conversations has showed up for the anti-mask, yes. All right, so let me, as I understand the arguments, and I've actually sat through some um, library control board meetings on this, the folks mm -hmm. arguing to ban books talk about parental rights. What, why isn't that a sound argument? Parental rights are a, a, a very sound, sound argument. It was coming from a place of legitimacy. Uh, every parent uh, should be empowered. Um, every librarian that I know attempts to help empower parents to make good choices for their own children. Um, a lot of allegations that are being made about book banning says that a book is inappropriate somehow. And yet there's a lot of material uh, that's available for kids, particularly around health and sexuality, that is relevant to those topics, but it might not be appropriate for every family. I think a parental rights, parental concern conversation needs to focus on a particular family. Um, there are ways with uh, the type of library cards that are issued, uh, the type of, of um, uh, circulation that's done, the way that things are displayed, uh, and also parents being actually involved in their children's lives. Right, so, um, I'm, go ahead, I'm go sorry. Ahead. No, that's all right, go ahead. Yeah, so the parental concern, parental control conversation is at the wrong level. It should be at the individual family level, not at the community level, because the entire community needs access to, to materials that are relevant to different topics and right. relevant for different age groups. A family can make its own choice about appropriate or inappropriate. So in other words, a library, and I believe that you mentioned St. Tammany, I believe that library is doing this, they could have different types of library cards. And a parent could say, okay, well, I don't want my child to have access to this. And another parent could say, yeah, they can have access to it, right, based on their card. Well, my, my own children, I have a 17-year-old and a 13-year-old. My 17-year-old is about to age out of parental controls right now. Um, and uh, that's appropriate. The, um, the, the, the chance on the telephone, the, the, the mobile phone, you know, mm -hmm. to have filtering, uh, the, the, the filtering that already takes place in public libraries for Internet access for children in many, many places. The chance for me as a parent to be involved in the choices that we have as a family for what kind of a card, what kind of an access. You know, if I have a reluctant reader, um, if I have a, a child who's more sensitive, the, the thing that the library wants to do is help that parent direct their own family's future, right. uh, but not direct every other family in the community in the process. Yeah. So what you're basically back to the parental rights argument, that's fine as it relates to individual parents, but one group of parents shouldn't be able to dictate to every other group of parents about what they can and can't do or what their children can or can't do. Right? The, the, core, the, the core of democracy, uh, whether you're a progressive, a conservative, or a libertarian, is fundamentally helping the individual succeed. And how can individuals, whether it's a, a, an adult or, or a family as, as, a, as a unit, how can they succeed if somebody says you can't 
have access right. to the material. All right, well, let's um, it, go ahead. It doesn't add up, Mike. It yeah, just doesn't yeah. add up. Well, let's, let's dig a little deeper. Can we talk a little bit about the number or the types of books that these groups have, have targeted, uh, whether they've succeeded at it or not? Sure. The targets of the uh, book ban attempts, and this data largely comes from uh, the folks over at PEN America, uh, PEN America has been uh, doing some extraordinary work uh, tracking uh, not just the book banning uh, itself, but the attempts, and not just the, the titles, but the, the groups that are advancing these causes in those local communities, whether it's public library or school library. Right. Uh, Penn, Penn shows very clearly, uh, and the numbers have changed since the last report came out in June, um, the, I'm sorry, in September. The, the, the attacks are coming at books that are about uh, sex and sexuality, particularly about GLBT communities. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're coming out of uh, anti-CRT, that critical race theory concept. Um, and really, it's essentially a race-based conversation, anti-black, anti-brown. And then there are other books that are being banned for rather absurd reasons. Um, we, the, the, there's a, a certain panic, uh, a certain moral panic that's happening in this country right now. So we're seeing books about uh, seahorses and the, uh, the reproductive cycle of a seahorse getting banned because it makes people uncomfortable that there's any mention of, uh, I, I guess, reproductive biology in that book. Um, there, there's a, one of my favorite books, one of my colleagues, uh, my kids' favorite books, uh, Walter the Farting Dog. <laughs> I don't know if you've run into that one, Mike, or not. No, it's a classic in the children's sites. I have not. People, yep, that one, uh, Captain Underpants. Oh. I mean, these are, these are right. books that, that the, the most circulated book in the 125 years of the Brooklyn Public Library is uh, Where the Wild Things Are. Right. And that book has been banned because people are uncomfortable with the depiction of an independent child. Goodness. So what, what I'm hearing from you, and, you know, I think I'm going to, be the average person out there. My assumption would have been that all the books are only LGBTQ type or themed books, but that's not accurate, right? No, it's not the case. Okay. Um, the the um, books by uh, writers of color, um, the books that represent stories of communities of color, are significantly under attack as well. You know. Um, that that's something that really puzzled me. I'm sorry to cut you up there, but I was You're looking. Ready. I was looking at the lists in that pen article that you mentioned, which is really good, and I saw that I think the number two author that is most banned is Toni Morrison. Yes. Do you have any idea what the rationale for that is? Well, I've I've seen the uh, the, the uh, reports on the the different uh, challenge uh-huh. challenges that come in, and uh, people are uncomfortable. They say about uh, depictions of, of sexual violence in there that were okay. true stories. Um, these are uncomfortable stories to read. These are uncomfortable stories for a writer like Miss Morrison to write, uh, and yet um, the authentic experience of that writer, mm-hmm. the, the authentic experience of the, of the audience, um, has to be honored. Uh, has to be respected, and banning it silences these voices and these stories uh, in ways that are, are pernicious to, well, the, the, the culture of reading that we should have in this country, the culture of writing that we, we should have in this country, but also are in a small-D democracy sort of way as well. So when, when these local groups start pushing to ban books, Am I correct that they're probably not creating the list of books they wanted banned, that these are kind of coming down from uh, these more national organizations? 
It's a little bit of both, Mike. Okay. Um, okay. There are, and in throughout this conversation, I want to make sure that that I distinguish between folks who have a legitimate local concern and folks who are doing this for politicized reasons. Right. Um, the folks who are coming at this, they, they have a First Amendment right, not just to free speech, but to petition their government. You know, they're, they're allowed under our constitutional system to do this, and that's a good thing. And libraries have had hundreds of years of respecting the rights of, of legitimate petitioners um, and good conversations with the community about where we should, if we should have it, where we should uh, uh, put on the shelves, and who should have access to it when in their lives. But these other groups, there's a, a whole cottage industry going on right now of, of lists of, banned, of bannable books. And they're lists that have been developed for uh, very much um, specific agenda-driven reasons, whether it's anti-gay, anti-black, um, anti-community in different ways. Um, it's really sad that there, that there is a, um, a small group of people who have made it very easy for folks to uh, operationalize their discomfort or their dislike. Hmm. Well, you know, we started off talking about the differences between school libraries and public libraries, and you, you've been involved in both. My understanding is that at least as to school libraries, there are some Supreme Court opinions holding that students have, as you mentioned, a First Amendment right to access information and ideas. These are older opinions. Do you know if there are any recent court decisions that support the book bannings? So one of the key decisions in the school community is called PICO, T-I-C-O. It's uh, worth looking up, folks. Um, the other, the one in public libraries uh, that defines a lot about uh, what obscenity really means is called the Miller Test. Uh, between those, those two Supreme Court decisions, um, again, well, the Miller Test for public libraries, PICO for school libraries, um, there is some recent, um, uh, uh, there are some recent lawsuits. There's one in, in uh, St. Louis in particular that um, was brought by the uh, NAACP and the ACLU uh, about a school district called Wentzville in suburban St. Louis where uh, books were being uh, pulled from the shelf. And uh, the, the short version of it is that the uh, federal judge um, ruled against the folks who wanted to see more access on the grounds of this older decision called PICO, which is um, almost 40 years old now, uh, no longer uh, is as relevant because of the uh, ways that accessing information have changed. Uh, the PICO decision basically said that the school library needed to be uh, a place of um, access and refuge for students because that's where they could get their books. The federal judge in uh, the St. Louis, uh, the West Wentzville case, said, well, because of the Internet, because of public libraries, because of uh, Amazon even, uh, those concerns that the Supreme Court addressed uh, almost 40 years ago don't apply anymore. We, we, we disagree well, right. with, with the judge on that. And I'm glad to see that the, uh, the, the parties are appealing that decision. But because it's still under appeal, Mike, I don't know where it's going to go. Right. Okay. And, and so that, that's the PICO decision as it relates to schools. What's the status of, of litigation, if you, if you know of any, revolving public schools, involving, excuse me, public libraries? Uh, right now, uh, the... The, the space around public libraries uh, has not been heavily litigated, okay. uh, which is actually a good thing. Um, going to the courts is the last recourse for the First Amendment. And if our last defense of the First Amendment has to be the courts, then something is fundamentally broken down. Um, one, one case that was recently um, adjudicated, though, in Virginia Beach, uh, Virginia, was uh, a case about um, 
uh, Barnes and Noble, and was being sued by two uh, locals, um, one of whom was a member of the, the General Assembly in in, uh, in Virginia, uh, over obscenity charges. They, they said that some books in the in the Barnes and Noble were obscene. Uh, the judge uh, took that case, uh, reviewed the the facts on the ground, applied the Miller test, and dismissed it. Okay. Uh, dismissed that case because uh, obscenity uh, in that case, the, the the content of those books and the allegations were spurious, uh, inaccurate, and didn't and weren't risable. I got you. Uh, that's an that's an important moment for the integrity of the Miller test in this country, and uh, that case around Barnes and Noble was of course about a private. Uh, corporation, but it, it, it's about the integrity of the Miller test rather than the place that the books were available. Okay. Now, in addition to the book banning drives or the pushes that we see, I ran across something called uh, that they're trying to get, quote, educational gag orders, close quote. Uh, are you familiar with that? The the, the concept around that is uh, essentially a uh, don't say, you know, don't, don't say ah, gay, okay. don't, say, don't say race. Uh, don't say in some places it's don't say abortion because right. of, of restrictions that have come down since the Dobbs decision. Um, and those gag orders are, are intended to um, do something that's fundamentally um, anti-education uh, and anti-American, which is to, to limit speech. So um, we're, we're seeing that um, around the country with these different topical issues. School libraries are a component of the education community, so they're affected but they're not necessarily targeting uh, school libraries directly. Okay. So some of the same groups that are pushing to ban certain books, some of them at least, are also pushing for these educational gag orders and using politicians to get legislation or whatever. Uh, it does appear to be a whole-cloth approach, Mike, to, okay. to these kinds of issues, yes. Okay. Well, it's part of a cultural war. I, I think it is. Okay. And um, having a, a beachhead in the culture war in our public libraries and our school libraries um, is an uncomfortable situation, I think, because... Public libraries and school libraries are, are so egalitarian. They, they, they're intended to lower barriers for people to access information. They're intended to, to make it possible for people to participate in their own futures with information and also for enjoyment. Yeah. And yet these groups are, are looking at them as, in a certain respect, soft targets. Yeah. Um, and the culture war uh, needs to be fought back because if we have principles around First Amendment, around freedom of access, around the dignity of the individuals and around the, the community community and campus anchor institutions that are our libraries, I think we have to be engaged. The people who care need to be engaged. Now, one of the other things that I'd like to talk about briefly about before we run out of time is how these, these pushes for banning and that are affecting uh, librarians and staff and the folks that work there. I read recently of some criminal charges even being filed against librarians and officials in libraries for refusal to remove certain books. I, as far as I can tell, none of them have worked, but we are daily, we read on, in the paper about threats and things like that. Have you been involved in assisting librarians or their staffs and how to respond to these things? Yes, and it is a, uh, a, a deeply personal and professionally troubling situation for me. Um, yeah. the, the attacks on librarians uh, individually and as a, as a group have gotten, quite, quite honestly, out of hand. Um, in Patmos, at the Patmos Library in Michigan, uh, which is in, uh, just outside of Grand Rapids, they, they lost their levy in August. They lost their levy again uh, about 10 days ago. 
uh, on the November elections. And the yard signs that were out there, Mike, made me curl my toes because I went up there for a visit. They were accusing librarians of being um, all sorts of terrible things, groomers, pedophiles. Um, th- that library's lost a lot of staff. And it's not the only library like that around, around the country. Um, the, these um, allegations are spurious. They're inaccurate. They're, there's some version of um, categorical slander. Um, I'm, we, we are, as an organization here at Every Library, in solidarity with library staff. Um, we we are um, we are very hopeful uh, for their future. Well, it seems like it's part of the tactic, right? If you can make the librarian or their assistant's life miserable, they're likely to move on, and then presumably uh, these groups hope they can get appointed someone who is more favorable to them. The um, the anti worker uh, attacks across the education community are being mirrored in the library. The, the attacks against education in libraries are being mirrored, mirrored in uh, health departments around the country from the anti-mask, anti-vax. Um, they're being mirrored around the country about um, the integrity of our electoral process with uh, county uh, and parish uh, clerks and secretaries of state. Uh, this is a systemic attack on the structure of our uh, society and these core roles that educate, inform, and provide access to democracy uh, they're all under the gun right now. And that includes the libraries and the librarians and their staff. It certainly does. Yeah. It certainly yeah. does. Well, I, I, we're going to be out of time now. John, thank you so much for this. That's all the time we have for today. You've been listening to the Writers Forum, and my guest today has been John Kraska. John, is there a website where, or other social media where people can go to learn more about your organization, Every Library? Yes, uh, I'd invite people to visit action.everylibrary.org, action.everylibrary.org, or if you forget the action part, just come to everylibrary.org. Those two websites have a lot of information about our our work, the uh, needs that are out there around book bans and support for for libraries, uh, and ways to take action directly. John, and that would include local librarians and their staff or whatever who may need assistance with one of these book banning pushes? Yes. Um, we have information about current campaigns that are um, of national significance and honestly of campaigns that folks want uh, people to be involved with. Some folks just want to keep it local. I respect that very much. Okay. John, thank you so much. Mike, it was a real pleasure to be with you today and your listeners too.